Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Dr. Ian Murphy. He's experienced a stirring journey into the Christian life out of Gnosticism. Uh, he was lead pastor at a Baptist church in Texas, where he ministered and remained centered until his decision to enter the Catholic Church. Uh, Dr. Murphy is also an author of several books, including the one that we're going to discuss today. It's called The Road to Self-Awareness, a therapy book for Christians by Sophia Press Institute. And Dr. Murphy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Deacon Jeff. I'm honored to be on the show. I appreciate this, and God bless you and what you're doing at Respect, Respect Life Radio. The book's topic just really rings true when you look at today's this woke culture that we look at where everybody wants to be accepted for whatever they do no one wants to be criticized Mm -hmm. and so self-awareness is something that seems to be oblivious to people but it really is we're never going to change unless we can look at ourselves objectively right well said everyone is just so outward focused and, and there's no turn inward, but the turn inward is such good news. I mean, you know, I want to say to people, yeah, but how's that working for you? You know, that all the arguments and all the Facebook wars and all the tension in the culture, how's that working for you? It obviously isn't. It's one of the reasons the uh, bookshelves are inundated with a surfeit of self-help books. Uh, one, one of the reasons is they're not working. But I think another reason is people are hungry. They're hungry for for healing that, that's sustainable, that really works. And that comes from turning inward. It comes from repentance. Well, and you, you mentioned if you look at the world today, people are angry, they're unhappy, they're, you know, we see the rate of depression and, you know, the CC, CDC just came out with a report that, you know, how many... 30% of girls in high school have contemplated suicide, 60% are depressed. I mean, all you have to look look out into the world and you see this unhappiness. Um, but it's mm. precisely because if I think I can be under whatever gender I want, I can marry whoever I want, and how dare you criticize me, right? No one wants to be criticized because everybody seems to be wearing their emotions on their sleeve. And I don't know about you, but if I did that growing up in my house, I would have had a foot in a very uncomfortable location by my dad. <laughs> you know, it's like if people, they're broken, they're wounded. You know, they're wounded by the fall, by evil, by sin, by other people's sins against them. They're hurting and they're wounded and they want to heal. And so they, you know, they're hungry for growth and healing. But then that means change. It means repentance. It means turning inward and self-examining. And then the pride rears up and screams, but I want to be as the Almighty. I want to play God. And so they continue doing what they've been doing. They continue calling the shots and doing things their way. And then that doesn't work for them. They're broken, and they cry out for healing. And it's round and round it goes. I want to heal. Oh, wait, that means I have to turn inward and change? No, I want to be God. Wait, that's not working, and I'm broken, and I need to heal. But wait, that means I have to change? And it's like there is a way out of that circle, and it comes from taking that turn inward and receiving the love that transforms us and has been made available. It is available. As St. Augustine said, those who want to live 
have a place to live. It is available. That's the good news. Well, I think one of the one of the scariest prayers you can say is to ask the Lord to help us see ourselves as He sees us. Right? Not only would it mm. it would be therapeutic, but it would be scary because we live in this fantasy land. Like we're fine, and everybody else is broken, and I'm going to worry about them. Right? It's the old plank in my eye that we totally ignore. And I think when you read this book, it does help us focus inwardly. And I, I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror, 99% of my problems are looking right back at me. Mm-hmm. Yes. You, you reminded me a, a title for this book that we played around with. Uh, you know, it, its working title is The Road to Self-Awareness, a therapy book for Christians. But while it was still in the creative process, we tossed around the idea of calling it, I'm not a problem to be fixed how Thomas Aquinas helped me lose a hundred pounds. So it's, it's a narrative driven book about my own brokenness, my own turn in word in, in just one area that I needed to heal. But I didn't want to call it that because it, it's not a book about weight loss. As we got into it, I, I realized quickly, man, this is just about life and healing. This is a therapeutic book. It's a book on how to heal, whether it be anxiety or depression or addiction or toxic relationships, or trauma, or misspent energy, or just general woundedness, whatever problem is staring right back at somebody in the mirror when they wake up in the morning and face themselves. The great physician is ready and able to heal. He is a great physician and and, and there is healing available. And we realize, you know, this this isn't just, you know, about my problem with gluttony, this applies to any woundedness, any brokenness at all. Well, I think that's that's the beauty of the book. And I think to your point, right, anybody who's listening thinks, well, that doesn't apply to me. I don't have any problems. Well, you got bigger problems than you <laughs> think because we all have stuff. Some have more <laughs> things than others, but we all have this brokenness within us that until we turn to Christ and we're open with who we really are and the things we need to fix, we're going to continue to wallow in this misery or this fantasy land that the only one who's believing in the fantasy land is us because Christ sees, knows everything about us anyway. We're the only ones we're fooling is ourselves. Yeah, and we surrender so much power to those lies we tell ourselves. But again, then they, they can't satisfy there's still a God-shaped void. There's still that God-shaped hole. And what we've been doing, playing God, isn't filling it. And so people are still broken and in need in that in that cycle of, I want to be God, but wait, that's not working for me. You had mentioned, you know, it can sting to turn inward. You know, it can be hard. And uh, that's that idea of, I'm not a problem to be fixed. You know, that we aren't fundamentally a problem. We're fundamentally made after God's own image, intended to flourish in life to the fullest, in a happiness that no heart has yet conceived, no eye has seen, no ear heard. We have a problem, absolutely, but that's infinitely different than being a problem. And I think it's what makes us able to turn inward is, yeah, if I say search and know me, God, help me see myself as you see me. Really search and know me 
see if there's anything that doesn't belong and get it out. If we pray that with David, that search and know me prayer and really mean it. It's an intense experience, and I think the only thing that makes us able to go there is, number one, to know that at our core, we are reflections of divine love, and and that the mercy is always bigger than the sin. If we know we were loved much, then we can love much. So we know we were made in God's image. We know the mercy is there. That's the only thing that makes us able to take that turn inward. If we still think we're fundamentally a problem, you know, then it's too scary to face our dreadful need. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we look at ourselves, you know, we think, and how many times have we heard this from, and maybe we've said it, or we've heard people say it, that, you know, that's just who I am, right? I'm not going to be able to change. Mm -hmm. It's just who I am. It's such a defeatist attitude. And I, I think when you read your book and when, you know, the journey that you were on, Right? It, it's easy to do that because then you can convince yourself, well, I don't need to do anything. But it really is that I can be changed. I need to change because how many of us, if the Lord came down in our lives today, said, you're perfect just the way you are. Don't change anything. <laughs> exactly. You know, it, you remind me that, that what happens is the actions we do, what we do matters and what we do doesn't stop in an isolated moment. It's not just that we are, we are becoming. What we do isn't an isolated action because that action, the more it's repeated, reinforces itself. It internalizes, it becomes a routine, it becomes a habit, it becomes second nature. We end up with a disposition towards that repeat behavior. So it ends up, our, our actions through repetition end up defining our habits. Then if we stay with those habits, it ends up shaping our very character. You know, it's something as simple as the act of practicing the piano. You know, you do that enough times, you end up habitually practicing the piano. And if you keep up with that, your character is shaped accordingly. You're now a musician. The thing is, when people are repeating actions of evil or sin or vice, and they're not self-reflective or aware of it, but through routine, when those types of actions internalize, they feel second nature. They feel normal. And a lot of sins end up feeling normal. They're not normal. They're actually very abnormal, and they're causing great harm and destruction in our lives. They may be typical, and we may be used to them, but they're actually very abnormal. And the reason that we're so blind to our own vice is that power of habit that the things we think we want have actually been shaped by us through the things we've been doing. You know, and so that one way to put this is there's no such thing as it's just one tiny little choice. And and that works a couple ways. You know, whenever we do a virtue, the virtuous act, the liar's right there to say, ah, that's that's not gonna help you. That's just one tiny little choice. And when we commit a sin, the liar shows up and says, Ah, that's not gonna hurt you. It's just one tiny little choice. But there's no such thing. There's no such thing as one tiny little choice because that act, whatever we did with our free will, is propelling us toward whatever that act is aimed at accomplishing. 
you know, before you are fire and water, whichever you choose will be given to you, as it says in Sirach. It's just, it's a sobering and, uh, and crucial truth for us to recognize across our daily lives, lives is that the people we're becoming are being shaped by the thing, the little, those allegedly little things we do each day. As you're saying that, it, you know, it kind of reminds you that reminds to remind all of us that our turn to Christ, our turn to change our lives is one tiny little step at a time. I remember my daughter went into the convent and we talked to an older sister who had been in there for like 60 years. And somebody asked her, well, how did you do it for 60 years? And she said, one day at a time. I didn't look at it as I was going to be here for 60 years because she didn't know, but it was one day at a time. And it, and it kind of reminds me based on what you're saying, when we change and turn to Christ and turn a vice into a virtue, we can't, we're not going to make giant leaps. It's going to be one step at a time. And those incremental steps will create that habitual uh, nature that we need to do good. Exactly. It's the whole idea of what Christ said in, in the mustard seed metaphor. What looks like just one tiny little choice, because in and of itself, in that moment, it is small. It's just a tiny little mustard seed. But that seed ends up, if it takes roots, growing, uh, bearing fruit, taking over the garden. So is our garden filled with crops or is it filled with weeds? And one of the things about the fall is that, you know, every gardener knows that the weeds seem to spring up all on their own as if by magic. But the fruit-bearing crops, they take the work to plow, fertilize, weed around them, cultivate, prune, and harvest. But that those are your fruit-bearing crops, and in either case, that t- that allegedly tiny little action over time is going to define who you're becoming and propel you toward the end that your life is oriented toward. Our daily rhythms have this posture, this orientation towards where we're headed, and that's either to... Let go and let God be still, be loved, and find out who he made when he made me. Or it's that lie of playing God and being fractured. You know, you, at, you, you ask a question in the, in the beginning. It's actually in the introduction where you, you say, you know, if we could heal one thing in our lives, if we could make one change, which one would we pick? And, you know, it, it, it reminded me of, you know, we may have many areas that we have that we need, but we really need to work on one at a time. If we start doing the shotgun approach, trying to take care of everything at the same time, <laughs> we're going to become discouraged and fail. It really is pick one and focus on that. And then when you get to that point, then you've, you've worked on that one and you've, you've got to the point where you need to then pick another one, right? St. Thomas Aquinas wholeheartedly agrees with you. In fact, what makes that pick one thing at a time so true is that when you work on one virtue, you work on all of them. They're all connected. You know, it, it, it's the failure of the self-help books is, is they want to heal the human being, but they don't know what a human being is. Their anthropology is whacked. 
You know, when you have the truth of what a human being is, a complex body-soul unity that reflects a complex Trinitarian creator made in the image and likeness of love, of relationship. Love, obviously, is at the core of who we are as reflections of God's image, because God is love. So once you realize that at the core of who we were made to be, who God created us to be, you know, a quick aside, people talk about being true to yourself. Well, you have to distinguish, do you mean your disordered self or your well-ordered self? Because if you're true to your disordered self, that'll just bring more fracture and destruction and harm. But when you're true to your well-ordered self, that's who you truly are as a reflection of love. And so healing is defined not as fixing a problem. Again, we're not fundamentally problems to be fixed. We're beloved children, brothers, sisters. We're even called bride. We're even called the temple where the Lord dwells. These intimate words he describes how irreplaceably precious we are to him and how much delight he takes in us. If we start with that love of the creator who made us and then died for us when he didn't have to, to get us back, if we start with that, then we can define healing the human being more accurately, specifically as the repairing of love's image within us. And so where virtue comes in, you know, whether it's self-discipline or self-control, like in my case, defeating gluttony or, or diligence, so, you know, building a, a solid prayer life or, or courage, you know, to heal in, in a relationship, in a, a compassion, forgiveness. I mean, you would think of the, the, the virtue. It is some quality of love. Every virtue is simply some quality of love. Love is patient. Love is kind, as St. Paul defines patience and kindness are virtues. Uh, St. Augustine goes so far as to say, I define virtue as nothing else than, than, than the love of God. It, it, virtues are what love looks like. God is merciful and compassionate and just and, and kind and patient, and we're made in that image, so we're most fully human who we're supposed to be, our true selves, our well-ordered selves, when we're merciful and kind and patient and courageous and self-disciplined. That's healing, is the repairing of our true nature according to all the qualities of love. United by love, you work on one virtue, yes indeed, you're working on all of them. So it's all about those baby steps, not giant leaps, baby steps that form our habits and character over time, the baby steps of virtue, the baby steps of love's quality. They will transform you. They will heal whatever the issue is. And you won't just heal from the problem. You'll heal for a flourishing happiness. You know, we're not just trying to get rid of something bad, which is another mistake that today's therapy books often make, but we're trying to attain the happiness God intended for us. You know, when you read the book and, you know, listening to your explanations, it, it does remind, it should remind everybody that, you know, we don't do it so that other people say, hey, look at what you're doing. But the fruit of that transformation, that fruit of that self-awareness and moving towards Christ and away from that vice or whatever the issue is, is that it can be an example and a motivation for other people who see it. 
Right? We don't do it necessarily for that reason, but that's a, a gift and a fruit that can come from our our dedication to growing in our faith and our relationship with the Lord is that example for other people to think, hey, if he can do it, then I can do it. Exactly, exactly. I, it, surpassing all the arguments and all the debates that are out there, if somebody takes the great physician up on his offer to do the impossible, because he is able to do it, and when we open ourselves, this is something he's doing to us. This isn't something we're doing. We're availing ourselves of a grace that transforms us. It's a gift. He does it. When we cooperate with that, when we trust our Father and die to self and follow him and let him be God and grow on these, in these virtues, these qualities of love, one baby step at a time until they form habits that form our character, we will be transformed. And then uh, you don't need an argument. You don't need a debate. People can just look at your transformed life, and they will see that Jesus Christ is real, and they will see that the Lord is good. You know, I, I lost over 100 pounds, and it wasn't from any of the diets out there you know, which was one dead end after another, as you know, reading my book, I'd lose some right. weight only to, to gain it all back again, because it was never a holistic approach. It was always some incomplete reductionist picture of what a human being is. And once I was attending to all the dynamic realities of a human being relationally, body, soul, spirit, and, and letting God's grace transform me, then the next thing you know, you know, one, I didn't lose 100 pounds by losing 100 pounds. I lost 100 pounds by losing one pound 100 times. Those baby steps were cumulative. And what became habitual dietary and exercise habits ended up making me a healthy person. Now people see that transformed character. People who remember this five foot 10 guy at over 300 pounds now see me down a century of weight. And they're like, what happened to you? Well, it's not what happened to me, it's who happened to me. Jesus Christ, he's real, and he's there for you too, whatever it is. Well, that's, you know, as we deepen a relationship with, with Christ, right? He's always going to make us feel uncomfortable, right? He wants to challenge us and take us out of our comfort zone. And, and so we get accustomed to wanting to strive for more so that we can draw closer to him. And, you know, you talk about prayer in the book, too, and I think it's a great reminder that, you know, to sit in adoration and pray is fantastic. But if we're the only ones doing the talking and all we're doing is whining about all of our problems and never listening to, you know, the Lord's his his guidance and how to move forward from where we are, then all we're doing is spinning our wheels, right? That, I, you know, it's the old saying, we've been given two ears and one mouth, listen twice as much as you talk, and we need to really take that part into prayer. You're reminding me of uh, something Thomas Merton says, which is sometimes saying prayers can interfere with praying. If so, cut it out. Yeah, there's a difference between saying prayers and prayer. You know, prayer is, is a two-way conversation. It's not a monologue. And I'm, in the book, I liken it to uh, tuning in to a radio station. We have to spend some time tuning out the wrong frequencies that are bombarding us. 
And that can be delightful in and of itself just to quiet this world's noise, all the stress and all the evil and all the worry, just to let that quiet is nice. But the thing is, when you tune out those wrong frequencies, there is a heavenly broadcast right now. God is speaking to you right now. And if you can tune out the wrong frequencies and tune into that message, you will hear that you're loved. You'll hear that his grace is sufficient for you. You'll hear that you're the next baby step away from unleashing his plans for you. You'll hear that you're irreplaceable and precious to him and that he sees you. He doesn't judge the way this world does. He sees you and he has so much for you. You'll hear that when you tune in. And that's how we can pray without ceasing. Because once you're tuned into that broadcast, well, then you can follow the surprising live guidance of the Holy Spirit, which is how we're supposed to be living. The Pentecost, after all, is the church's birthday, the sending of the Spirit. You know, we've, we've just got to tune in We've got to uh, hoist ourselves and see where the spirit wind is blowing us and hear his end of the conversation. And, and well, we'll hear that yeah, the grace is sufficient. Yeah, and to your point, right, that, that broadcast has been going on ever since we've, came, we've come into this world. It's just that we have mm-hmm. been too busy doing other things. And so it'll feel like an epiphany because, holy cow, Lord, but he's been trying to the whole time and we're just not listening. You know, I, I, again, I can't uh, recommend the book enough, especially just just the thought process and the mind process. We're down to about the last 30 seconds or so. How can people get it and how can people find the other things that you're doing? They can uh, check out my ministry and get the book at my website, drianmurphy.com, D-R for doctor, I-A-N-M-U-R-P-H-Y, D-R-I-A-N-M-U-R-P-H-Y. Com. Of course, they can also get it from Sophia Press, and it's on Amazon at this point. And um, thank you so much. Please check it out. I mean, it's great for a personal devotional. It'd be great for a Bible study. And it's step-by-step out of the rut. It's not just, okay, I know Jesus. I've got the sac- I've got my ticket to heaven, but I'm stuck. You know, this is for people who are ready to go to the next level and don't have to be stuck anymore and it can help guide and accompany them step by step to the healing and life that they're hungry for. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.